You know, he used to finger paint on the walls with his little poopies. Nana, now is not the time. We called him Poop Castle. She didn't know this. He breastfed until he was 12 years old. Okay, can we focus, please? He had his first kiss when he was 16. <laughs> How is Barry, by the way? Nana, I'm asking very nicely. Please, thank you, stop. Did you know when he was born, they thought he was a girl? For two whole months, because they couldn't find his wee-wee. <laughs> it's called micro-penis. Shut the hell up, you old lady! With your white hair and your walking problem? McCrubber! I'm sorry, Nana. I'm under a lot of stress here. I mean, I gotta defuse this bomb. Previously on It Was a Thing on TV. I gotta apologize on behalf of It Was a Thing on TV. I said something that I shouldn't have said. And uh, that's not the guy I am. Uh, as Castellanos hits that ball deep to left field, it'll be a 4 nothing game. The Reds lead right now. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to wear this headset again. I'm not even sure I'm going to be on it was a thing on TV again. I have a lot of friends, and I hope those people will back me up. Till then, I, I beg for your forgiveness. You're gorgeous. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 229, submission 276, The BCS on Fox. The BCS on Fox lasted from 2007 to 2010 on Fox. Sun setting at Glendale, Arizona, the home of the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. It has brought together fans of Boise State from Idaho and the fans of Texas Christian University from Fort Worth, Texas. A great matchup. Undefeated teams, Boise State and TCU in the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. Well, guys, we got the national championship game coming up, the college football playoff. Yep, and so far we know that Alabama 
is going to play in the final again. Yeah. We're taping because... this in the middle of the uh, second game. Well, before the second game starts. So, yeah, we're, we're taping it in the interregnum. The first game is already finished. The second game is yet to start. Yeah. Yeah, all, all we know is that Cincinnati's chances of winning were very fickle. Hmm. But did I, I just make a pun on the coach's name? You're damn right I did. Hey, at least Cincinnati doesn't have to worry about their coach skipping town like Notre Dame, am I right? Oh. Oh, jeez. Okay, so we could talk about which team's going to face Alabama for the national title. Or we could talk about that time that Fox College football, having already succeeded in revolutionizing NFL presentation, decided to hedge their bets with the college game. And not just any college game, the big one. Did we mention that up until 2007, they did not really have much of the way of college football coverage? Oh, no. All they had, I think, was the Cotton Bowl, and that was it. Yeah, they had the Cotton Bowl from 1999 up until 2014. Yeah, and I know Pat Summerall would broadcast that every year for Fox, even after And he, he was damn good at it. Oh, yeah. He was awesome. Yeah, but like a year before that, Fox had the regional sports networks. Of course, they all belong to a symposium that are shared between Sinclair and EntertainmentStudios.com under the Bally Sports banner. Yep, that's what they're now called, the former Fox Sports Net. But the Fox Sports Networks decided they're going to try to compete with, on a national level, with ESPN. So they decided to broadcast games from the Pac-10 and the Big 12. This was back before the Pac-10 became the Pac-12. Obviously. And before before the Big 12 had less than 12 teams. When they actually had 12 teams. When the numbers meant something. When the numbers meant something. I'm looking at you Big 10 with 14 teams. Yep. And these games were distributed network-wide based on, obviously, what RSN you got in your area. Some of them aired live in a simulcast, and some of them aired live to tape on your various networks. Okay, so while that was going on, and he said around 98... Yep, right around about 98. The NCAA introduced an entirely new concept to decide a national champion... The Bowl yep. Championship Series, otherwise known as the BCS. Mm-hmm. And what it would do was it would try to average out the coaches' poll and the media poll and try to figure out with a computer who the two best teams in the country were to face off for the national championship. Because this is going to be hard to believe, guys, but there was a time when the two best teams in the country never played each other in a championship game. Really? Yeah. 
It wasn't that long ago that that happened. I mean, even like what? Under 20 years ago? Yeah. When the Rose Bowl actually meant that the Big Ten champion was going to play the uh, Pac-12 champion? Yes. Mm-hmm. Or Pac-10 or whatever, pa- whatever it was called back then. Pac-10. Pac-10 well, Pac-10, Pac-12, Pac-8. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah, but but again, the, the, the Bulls had more meaning because they were specifically for champions of specific leagues, not just the gobbledygook it is nowadays where, you know, four teams enter and play in a semifinal game and then they end up in uh, the Fiesta Bowl for all the Tostitos. No, it's for all the PS5s now, silly Mike, because well, PlayStation... I thought, well, well, it used to be all the Tostitos. Well, how, wait, wait, how can it be all the PS5s when you can't find them anywhere? Oh, beat that one, Greg. This is for all the Tostitos. This is for all the Tostitos. Still the best call Brent ever did. Before we go into how Fox ended up with the BCS, we have to briefly go into how the BCS actually went. Yeah, there may be some people who don't follow sports or have forgotten how the BCS worked. So let's just remind everyone how the BCS worked. So it was a computer system that figured out to average all the polls together. This was before the Google and the YouTube algorithm, which were, by the way, trying to all beat. Give us a like, won't you? We're not doing a very good job of it, but you can at least try. So the NCAA Division One BCS computer threw all of the variables into their algorithm and spat out the top two teams in all of college football. Division One, of course. Yes. And it would be rotated between four bowls each year. The Rose Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, the Orange Bowl, and the Sugar Bowl. So you would have uh, your eight teams made up in the BCS, and you would have the champions of what was then known as the Big Six Conferences at the time. So you got the Big East champion, the Big Ten champion, the Pac-10 champion, the ACC champion, the SEC champion, and Big 12 champion. So then you'd also have two at-larges, which could go from like a team from one of the Power Six, or let's say a mid-major who had an unbelievable season, which happened in like 2005, I think, with Utah when they went undefeated. I think won the Fiesta Bowl with Alex Smith at QB. 2005 or 2004? Because um, Alex Smith got drafted in 05. That's why I said 05. January of 05, I meant. Okay, all right. So then we had some controversy over the years with the BCS between 1998 and 2006. Specifically the year, I believe, around 2004 when USC was ranked number one but didn't get to go the BCS championship game. That was the year it was LSU and Oklahoma in the championship game. And then you had like the controversy, but it was like LSU won the, um, I think it was the Sugar Bowl that year, was the, I think the 
AP national champion, the recognized national champion that year. But the coaches, I think, all voted USC number one. Greg here in post. Yeah, I messed up. It was the AP that awarded USC the national championship and not LSU in 2003, 2004. I have the note right here from Truth by Consensus Wikipedia. Though winning the BCS, the LSU Tigers were not the consensus national champions, and the Trojans ended the regular season ranked number three in the final BCS standings, with three coaches polled, voting coaches, defecting from their agreement with the BCS to vote its designated game winner as champion, instead voting for USC, which was voted number one in the AP poll, and the AP awarded USC their national championship. So we ended the season with split champions, which is ironically what the BCS was trying to prevent. So starting in the 2006 season, they decided the BCS, they were going to completely overhaul the system. So instead of having the championship game rotate between the four bowl games, they would have a separate BCS National Championship game at one of the four designated bowl game sites the following week between the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, and the Orange Bowl each year. So the way they would do it was they would have 10 teams now in the system. You'd still have your top six power conferences getting the automatic bids as the champions, but instead of two at-larges, you would have four at-larges, which in theory would kind of give more of a chance to the mid-majors. Yeah, in fact, that first year you had Boise State. I want to say that was the first appearance of Boise State among the Big Ten. Not the Big Ten. The, the, uh, the, the, the Big ten, ten teams team. in, the, yes. in the BCS. Yes, and that's new system. Yes. But we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit. So how does Fox enter into the picture? How does Fox enter into the picture? Well, around... Let's say 2004, Fox decided to outbid ABC to get the rights to the BCS for four years, paying $20 million a bowl game. Wow. So counting the math of all the games they broadcast, essentially it's over $300 million over four years. And one exception, though, is even though Fox had the rights to the BCS package, there was one BCS bowl game they were not allowed to broadcast. The Rose Bowl. Yep, I believe the uh, BCS and the Tournament of Roses Association already had a pre-existing arrangement with ABC and ESPN by extension. Yes, so the Rose Bowl would not be counted among the games that Fox would broadcast. And by extension, the 2009-2010 BCS championship game, which was to be held at the Rose Bowl, by extension would be broadcast by ABC. So now we have Fox entering the picture with the BCS. But here's the thing, guys. We already mentioned, we talked about how the Fox Sports Networks on cable had football, on college football. But the Fox regular network... No college football except for the Cotton Bowl. Yep. So it's like, how are you going to broadcast the championships of 
your sport when you don't even broadcast regular season college football on your network? It's like, do you even have any experts that you can rely on? Because part of the allure of college football is having people who understand that the college game is vastly different from the pro game. Now, Fox does the pro game really well. But the pro game is not the college game. No, the college game is completely different from the pro game. So, all right. Let's get on with it. Let's review the first year of the BCS on Fox. So you have on January 1st, the Fiesta Bowl. January 2nd of 2007, the Orange Bowl. January 3rd of 2007, the Sugar Bowl. And then January 8th of 2007, the BCS National Championship. So do we want to go over the announcers first for each of the uh, games? I think that would actually make sense because some of these announcers are really big announcer names. Yes. Oh, (laughs) I can't even say it for the Fiesta Bowl. For the Fiesta Bowl, we have as color analyst Barry Alvarez and Charles Davis, and as the sideline reporter, the legendary Chris Myers, and doing the play-by-play was Tom Brenneman. <laughs> I said that with a straight face, ladies and gentlemen, because I am professional. A professional! Chico's a pro. That and was then, for the Fiesta Bowl. And then for the Orange Bowl, you had the one and only Matt Vaskersian. A hyphen. What's a hyphen? Hyphen. Hyphen. Think about a hyphen. Run, run, Matt, run. Just run. Think about a hyphen having a hysterical time at a comedy run. club. What is a hyphen? With color commentary by Terry Donahue and Pat Hayden. And on the sidelines, Laura Oakman. And then for the Sugar Bowl, we have, doing play-by-play, Kenny Albert, obviously the son of Morv, with, this is a good pair of color analysts for you, Terry Bradshaw and Howie Long. Already on the Fox payroll, by the way. Yeah, so it's custom made. And, oh my god, Genie's Alaska was still with Fox at this time? Genie's Alaska was still at Fox at this time! Doing sideline reporting? Wow. Yep. Did not expect that. And then the national championship was the team that covered the BSMA. Yes. Okay, so, hey, let's get into each of these games in 2007, shall we? All right. Oh, talk about starting out with a bang. This had to have been one of the most legendary college football games of all time. We have the Boise State Broncos out of the Western Athletic Conference at the time playing the Big 12's Oklahoma Sooners. And boy, was this a legendary game. Boise State would have a 21-10 lead at halftime. And then they'd have a 28-17 lead. And then Oklahoma came back to tie the game. But with about a minute remaining in the game, Boise State was driving. And Oklahoma picked off Jared Zabransky, the quarterback for Boise State. for, And I'm going to say it, Mike. An interception return for a touchdown. Because you don't like that of a term. Yeah. No, he, I don't. He, he doesn't like picks followed by a number. Okay. Boise State was down to their last chance late in the game. 
with about probably about I think eighteen seconds left, and it was fourth and eighteen. And Boise State used a trick hook and ladder play to tie the game. A miraculous hook and ladder play with a lateral. And they tied the game up and sent it to overtime. And then in overtime, Oklahoma would score first at 42 to 35. But then Boise State would get a touchdown, making the score 42 to 41. But instead of sending it to overtime by kicking the extra point, Boise State decided to go for a two-point conversion, and they used the Statue of Liberty play to score a two-point conversion and upset the Oklahoma Sooners to win the Fiesta Bowl. And in case you don't know uh, why it was a big upset over Oklahoma, besides the fact you know Boise State is a very small school in the grand scheme of things, Oklahoma had a running back, by the name of Adrian Peterson. Yes. And he was a, well, he has been a beast for the last 15 years or so, but back then he was, I think everybody knew he was going to be a beast in the NFL. Yes. So that was kind of like the birth of, wow, we're going to see someone very special soon in the NFL. You know, he has had a great career. I mean, Certain things with Adrian Peterson aside, and we're not that kind of podcast, but he is arguably probably going to be a Hall of Famer, we think. Maybe? Maybe his off-the-field stuff will not get him in, but his numbers say yes. Yeah. Uh, Well, it's going to take a while for us to forget. Let's just say that. Yeah, but I do remember... Didn't uh, the running back for Boise State propose to, like, a cheerleader after the game? I was it was his say, girlfriend. Well, obviously, it was, it was his girlfriend. It just wouldn't, wouldn't propose to a random girl. But, yeah, that was, it was, I it was the his, game. It was his girlfriend who happened to be a cheerleader. Yeah, but yeah. I believe that happened after this game. After the, the big upset, yeah, he, he got on one knee and proposed to her on national television. Oh, that's he true. He sort of one-upped Ahmad Rashad. Yeah, he did. <laughs> but, hey. Did the running back for Boise State's girlfriend sing on a float during the game? Ooh, beat that. Beat that. Uh, yeah, well, I don't even know what happened to her. I mean, it's been 15 years, and Ian Johnson, that's the running back we're talking about. Yeah. he. I, I think he was drafted maybe late, like in the fifth or sixth, seventh round, but never really did anything in the NFL. No. no. But, hey. He can go down in history scoring the uh, winning two-point conversion in the Fiesta Bowl in 2007. And, and then turning it around and proposing to his girlfriend. Amazing. Yes. And still married to this day. Oh, that's great. With a daughter. With, With a, a daughter. daughter. All right. Okay. So now we go into the Orange Bowl from Dolphin Stadium in Miami, Florida, between Louisville out of the Big East and Wake Forest in the ACC. And and guys, coaching Louisville at this time, oh boy, which will turn out to be his final game at Louisville. No, you're not going to say his name. No, no. Bobby Petrino. Yeah, I knew oh. you were going to say that. No. No. Let's talk about a, someone even worse than Tom Brenneman. Am I right? Oh, Jesus. Moving on, shall we? Let's move on, shall we? Okay. He's no Urban Meyer, but he's darn close. No! 
<laughs> so Louisville would go on to win this game by a final score of 24 to 13. And there's nothing really notable about this game. The, uh, but this is kind of fun. Each of the teams selected an honorary captain. Louisville chose boxing legend Muhammad Ali, a Louisville native, and Wake Forest chose golf great Arnold Palmer, a Wake alumnus, and Dwayne Wade of the hometown Miami Heat presented the coin for the coin toss. Talk to me nice. Hey, Dwayne was probably practicing for the cube like 13 years early. You could never be too ready for the cube. (laughs) Okay, so now we're going to go to the 2007 Sugar Bowl between Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish, and the LSU Tigers. And Of course, the LSU Tigers out of the uh, SEC and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish out of... Independent? Yeah, yes. because yeah. Notre Dame, they're too good for a conference in football. Yeah. Right. Still are. Even though they're basically a bunch of jerks. They're a bunch of jerks. Hey, I will not have you badmouth the fan base of the Carolina Hurricanes in my presence. Thank you very much. Okay, so, oh, guys, this quarterback matchup between Notre Dame and LSU. (laughs) It looked really good in 2007. It looked really good on paper. It looked good, Greg. Looked good. Looked good. Looks good. Oh, it looks 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 good. Looks good. Look good. Hey, Mike, did it look good? Uh, in 2007, it looked good. Okay, for Notre Dame, we have Brady Quinn, and for LSU, Jamarcus Russell. <laughs> oh. oh. That's all I have to say. Oh, my God. Jamarcus Russell, one of the biggest busts in NFL history, and Brady Quinn. Oh, my gosh. We traded away a first-round pick. not even good enough to be a bust. No. but Brady does a good job with Fox nowadays doing their college. Oh, yeah. I listen to him sometimes. I listen to him sometimes when I'm driving home from work on uh, Sirius XM on Fox Sports Radio. So, yeah, he's managed a pretty good second career as an analyst, but... Very much so. Very much so. Haven't heard from Jamarcus Russell in like twelve years. But hey, Jamarcus t- Russell disappeared off the face of the earth. But hey, take a look at the uh, top receiver for Notre Dame. Oh, Jeff Samarja with eight catches for fifty-nine yards and a touchdown. Don't you know who Jeff Samarja is? I totally know who Jeff Samarja is. Oh yeah, he's a, a baseball player with the Giants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he played both sports at Notre Dame. Oh, that's pretty nice. But, oh, future Arizona Cardinal, early Duchette, eight receptions, 115 yards in the Sugar Bowl. Nice. Yes. And it was a blowout, by the way. Final score was LSU 41, Notre Dame 14. And with the loss, Notre Dame lost a record-setting nine ball games in a row. It's sad to, say, it's sad to say this was as good as it was ever going to get for Charlie Weiss at Notre Dame. It's like, how bad must it be when you have a really good team, but you can't close? You know what the saddest thing is, guys? He's probably the most successful coach out of the Bill Belichick coaching tree. Which isn't oh saying boy. much, by the way. That's not good. No. 
not at all. Okay, so now let's go into the BCS National Championship game of 2007. Are you ready, guys? Yep. It was the Florida Gators versus the Ohio State Buckeyes. And you know what's so amazing about this? Later that year, they would meet again in the NCAA Basketball National Championship. And just like in this game, Florida wins. 41 to 14. But guys. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, great. Oh, no. Oh. No, I I, I I know where you're going, but Here we go. I, you, I think there's even more you could add if you uh, show you know who, uh, some of the players were for. You know what? Just rip the bandaid. Just rip the bandaid off, Greg. Well, let's talk about the head coaches first, because dear God, is this going to be like so hilarious? Oh yeah, uh, the head coach for Ohio State at the time, Jim Tressel, respectable. The head coach for the Florida Gators, Urban Meyer. Right throat jokes, folks. Well, I'll say it about Jim Trestle. He's not as good as you think he is. No, just no, ask Akron. Well, well, no, but also remember he had that whole tattoo gate scandal. Oh, with yeah. The, the gold pants and all that. Yeah. And all the stuff with Terrell Pryor. Right. Yeah. So he's no saint by any means. No. Oh, wow. Hey, guys, do you know who was on the Ohio State roster? Ted Ginn Jr. Yeah, Ted Ginn Jr. That was uh, his final year. Yeah, he, he, went, he, he, he got drafted in 2007. Yeah, he pulled a Devin Hester and returned the opening kickoff in this game for a touchdown. Yep. But, oh... <laughs> According to Troop by Consensus Wikipedia, during the celebration following the return, Ginn was injured and would miss the remainder of the game. Uh, Only to be outdone this season by Zane Gonzalez getting injured during the pregame warm-ups. Who knew that Ted Ginn was an honorary grammatica? Never forget. Oh my gosh. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And also, Percy Horvin, he was playing in this game for Florida. Future Minnesota Viking and Seattle Seahawk and former Jet. Oh, and um, I forgot that Troy Smith was quarterbacking for Ohio State at the time. He mm-hmm. won the Heisman that year in 2006. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then Beanie he- Wells was the running back? Yes. And then, um, yeah, because Chris Leak at the time was the primary quarterback for Florida in uh, 2006, 2007. Yeah, but look who his backup was. Oh, yeah, because or late in the first half, after Florida recovered a Buckeye fumble on the five-yard line, they punched it in on a one-yard touchdown pass from <sighs> Tim <laughs> Tebow. It hurt for you to say that. I, I feel your pain that guy <sighs> but yeah Florida would pretty much dominate in the uh, second half and win the national championship by a final score of 41 to 14 Chris Leak was named the offensive player of the game and Derek Harvey earned defensive honors okay we mentioned the Ted Ginn touchdown Chris Leak 14 yard pass to Dallas Baker to tie it for Florida 
Percy Harvin for your TD rush 14-7. And then, okay, Deshaun win a touchdown for Florida 21-17. Antonio Pittman, 18-yard TD rush. And then we got two field goals from Florida. And then the Tebow one-yard pass to Andre Caldwell, former uh, former Bengal, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, a Tebow garbage time one-yard TD rush in the fourth quarter was like the only scoring in the second half. Because, of course, Tim Tebow was garbage. Yes. So that was year one of the BCS on Fox. And so now we're on to year two. So let's review the announcers for year two, shall we? Uh, yes, this would be the 2007-2008 uh, season, with uh, the Sugar Bowl being taken care of by Tom Brenneman, Charles Davis, and Chris Myers. Fiesta Bowl goes to Matt Vaskersen, what is a heifer? Terry Donahue, Pat Hayden, and Laura Oakman. The Orange Bowl would go to Kenny Albert, Daryl Johnson and Barry Alvarez, and Gene Zelasco. And the national championship, the same team that did the Sugar Bowl. Yes, because it was in New Orleans that year. Yes. So let's do the uh, Sugar Bowl for 2008. So first we got out of the WAC conference, the Warriors of Hawaii taking on from the SEC, the Georgia Bulldogs. And this was no contest. Georgia just spanked Hawaii 41 to 10. Yep. Oh my god. <laughs> the national anthem. Hold on a second. I want to show you who sang the national anthem. I'm not making this theme up. Bone Bonorama or Bone Rama? What? what the Bonorama, hell? maybe? Bonorama. <laughs> there must be a local outfit. Yeah, click it, a, Greg. Let's see what's, uh, what they're all about. Let's, on, click it. Click let's it, see. Right. Okay. Okay. Bonorama <laughs> is a brass funk rock band from New Orleans. <laughs> and they are still active. Oh, good. And they're like, their national anthem rendition is mentioned on their Wikipedia page. And they released a joint EP with OK Go to raise money for New Orleans musicians displaced by Hurricane Katrina. Oh, that's nice. That is nice. Okay. But you know what was not nice? This game. No, because Uga just had its way with the Rainbow Warriors. Yep. It was so bad that after this game, Hawaii head coach June Jones left to become the head coach at Southern Methodist University. Damn, that's ugly. Got spanked so bad, he's like, nope, I don't want to be here anymore. This is as good as it's ever going to get. I'd rather go to SMU. And look who the quarterback was for Georgia. Was Matthew that? Stafford. That was, that oh, Stafford. Mm-hmm. Matt Stafford, yeah. Who, who, like, 14 years later is finally having a good team in the NFL. Gee, who would have thunk? Hey, all you have to do is get some Los Angeles sunshine. You just get out of Detroit. Yeah. Jared Goff wishes he could get out of Detroit. That's neither here nor there. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to go on to the Fiesta Bowl in 2008 between the 
West Virginia Mountaineers out of the Big East and the Oklahoma Sooners out of the Big 12. And the final score of this game was West Virginia 48, Oklahoma 28. You know who the kicker was for uh, West Virginia? Pat McAfee. Yes. Is it the same radio provocateur there? The Pat yes. McAfee? Yes, that same guy. Oh, that guy. That guy. Hey, I didn't make it as a kicker, so I got my own radio show. Do you like me now? He was a decent punter. He was. He was a decent player in the NFL. Maybe not as a place kicker, but he was a very serviceable punter. Yeah, and he's a legend with the Colts. And, well, I was going to say the opposite of serviceable. Look who was quarterbacking for Oklahoma. Oh, Sam Sam Bradford. He was the Heisman winner this year, wasn't he? Well, he uh, in 07? No, I uh, thought he was the Heisman was... winner in 09. He was drafted in 10. Okay. Yeah, it was 09, I think. Yeah. Okay, so this is 08, so the Heisman's like another year for him. Because this would have been the Tebow Heisman year, right? Or is that... Yeah, No, this would be the Tebow Heisman year. I think so, yeah. Yeah, this is 2007 season, so yeah, this would be the Tebow Heisman year. But oh, who was quarterbacking for uh, West Virginia? Pat White. You remember Pat White? Vaguely. He's played for the Dolphins, didn't he? He was drafted by Miami. Yes, the Miami Dolphins. But he but... was also drafted by the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Southern California, America. And then again by the Reds. And again by the Yankees. But never played. For but he any... never played. In the MLB, nope. The MLB, Greg. Is that like how Bret Hart refers to SummerSlam as the SummerSlam? And I'm uh, just looking at the uh, list of names we have here. Uh, Jermaine Gresham uh, was on Oklahoma. Yeah. Longtime tight end in the NFL. That's really the only big name I saw. Oh, Gerald McCoy. Okay. Gerald McCoy. He, he's been around for ages. Yeah, and Pat McAfee, obviously, already mentioned, so that's about it for notable names in this game. And now we go into the Orange Bowl of 2008 between the Kansas Jayhawks of the Big 12 against the Virginia Tech Hokies. Oh, (laughs) Virginia Tech coached by legendary head coach Frank Beamer, but all the Kansas head coach. Mark Mangino. You remember Mark Mangino, right, Mike? I think Who's... you're getting your Mark Mangino mixed up with your Eric Mangini, possibly. No, 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 no. Mark Mangino was that big guy who was like 400 pounds on the sideline. Like I said, I think you're mixing up your Eric Mangini. Eric Mangini, Mangini was never that fat, Mike. God bless the fat guy. Touchdown. No. So this game was very close. It was uh, Kansas up 17-14 to 14 after the third quarter. And then they would get a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Virginia Tech would cut the uh, score to 24-21 to 21 with three minutes remaining in the game. Virginia Tech cut the score to three. And Virginia Tech would try to come back by kicking an onside kick. 
Kicker Jed Dunleavy kicked the ball, which traveled the regulation 10 yards, but was recovered by Kansas. The Hokies, despite failing to recover the onside kick, still had a chance for another offensive possession if they stopped Kansas's offense short of a first down. Because the Hokies had two timeouts remaining, they could stop the clock after two Kansas plays, thus preserving time for a Virginia Tech drive. An 11-yard pass by Todd Rezing netted Kansas a first down. However, and subsequent runs by the Jayhawks allowed Kansas to run out the clock despite the Virginia Tech timeouts. Kansas preserved its lead by kneeling on the ball inside the Virginia Tech five-yard line on the final plays of the game, and the 24-21 victory was celebrated as time ran out. But a notable player as the game's MVP, who had a 60-yard interception return for a touchdown, which was the first in Orange Bowl history since 1968. Oh, yeah, Akeem Tlaib out of Kansas, and I want to say future Carolina Panthers legend. He was also on New England and um, Denver. Yep, so Akeem Tlaib, with that legendary 60-yard interception return for a touchdown, he said, I felt like Dion, as well you should. Yes. So let's go into the, let's just see if there's any notable names here. Oh, Tyrod Taylor was the backup on Virginia Tech, Mike. Yeah, that makes sense because he would have been drafted, I believe, in 2011. And this would have been 2007, 2008. So, yeah, that makes total sense. Eddie Royal, he had a decent career with, uh, among other teams, the Broncos as a wide receiver. Yeah, he was another Denver guy. Oh, Cam Chancellor for Virginia Tech. And uh, that is about it. Okay, so now we got one more game to cover, and that is the BCS National Championship between the LSU Tigers and the Ohio State Buckeyes back for the second year in a row. And guess what, guys? They would lose again. Wow. 38-24. Wow. Wow. It wasn't really that close all the way through. I mean, it was just... Well, Ohio State had a 10-3 lead at the end of the first quarter. But then then LSU LSU just came back hammering. Jeremy Talberg, touchdown pass. Brandon LaBelle, touchdown touchdown pass. pass. Jacob Hester, touchdown touchdown run. run. Early Doucette, touchdown Touchdown pass. pass. Oh my God! <laughs> Wait, yeah, yeah, I think you, uh, Greg. I think you just noticed what I was gonna, trying to say. Look who the quarterback was for LSU. Matt Flynn, maybe the single luckiest player in NFL history, getting paid out the wazoo by the Seahawks for doing absolutely nothing. For doing absolutely nothing, but you know what? I gotta say, of all that money he made, he's the Virgil of the NFL. He is the Virgil of the NFL, absolutely. But wonder- <laughs> does he? But did he spend it all on breadsticks? And meat sauce, no. Oh. But how many teams did Pat Flynn end up on? Hasn't he been on like 10 teams? I don't know. I don't let's think that one, shall we? Let's he just... was on the Raiders. He was on the Seahawks. All right, let's see. Matt Flynn <laughs> was on the Packers, the Seahawks, the Raiders, the Bills, the Patriots, the Jets, and the Saints. So he was on seven teams. He was on the Packers twice, actually. And, but it should, when, he, it should, when he was on the uh, Patriots and the Jets, he was only on the practice squad. So. Yeah, because, okay, I saw Matt Flynn play in the last game of the preseason for the Jets, I think, in 2015. 
Yeah. Because he was like an emergency um, signing for the last week of the season. Because this was around. Because remember, this was the year when Geno Smith got his jaw broke by one of his teammates. Aye. And, and, oh, yes. Yeah. And Ryan Fitzpatrick had to come in and uh, almost got them to the playoffs that year. And ever since, they've sucked ass. But that's a whole never thing. <coughs> Mike McCandon. <laughs> hey, can somebody get this man a lozenge? Oh. Can somebody get that man a football team? <laughs> oh, sorry, Greg. Okay. so Sell the team, Woody. So the Tigers end up winning the national championship. And all oh, notable thing, LSU was the first team since 1960 to win the national championship with two losses. Wow. Yeah. That's something. So, okay. Year two, it's getting very, very bad with how Fox's coverage is. So I'm going to read to you from around January 7, 2008. This piece I found from Pete Doherty from the Albany Times Union. Are you ready? Here we go. Okay. As I write this, we're an hour and change into Fox's coverage of the BCS title game. I can't imagine what happens the rest of the way will alter my opinion. Horrible. Simply horrible. Fox is simply overmatched. If you haven't studied all semester, you shouldn't expect to ace the final exam. Fox, which produced zero regular season college football games, is flunking the final. Tom Brenneman isn't very good. He's not a big game broadcaster in the vein of Al Michaels, Keith Jackson, or even Brett Musburger. Brenneman just told us a penalty flag had been thrown. We continue to watch, but there is no penalty. Rather than admit a mistake, Brenneman acts as if he never said it. Analyst Charles Davis has offered some insight. But again, who is he? I want Kirk Herbstreet, or Todd Blackledge, or Gary Danielson. Someone I've heard of during the season. I've seen Ohio State and LSU this year. I haven't seen Brenneman or Davis. The production is pretty weak, too, at least by big game standards. Ohio State was hurt in the first half by penalties, but we never got a graphic showing a comparison. One huge 15-yarder against the Buckeyes virtually was ignored because Fox was doing a flashback to Archie Griffin. What I found really amazing are the replays of reaction shots in slow motion. Ohio State coach Jim Trestle showing his displeasure over missed field goal in slow motion. An LSU band member showing frustration over an Ohio State score, a band member in slow motion. When college football adopts a Division 1A, excuse me, ball championship subdivision playoff in 2075, oh, if only he knew. Let me rest in peace knowing that teams who compete in the regular season also in the playoff. That, of course, extends to the broadcaster. Yeah, um, for the record, he was about 60 years off on that. Yes, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay, so now let's go into year three. But, oh, God, it's getting so bad, guys. It's getting worse. It's like you think it would get better. It gets worse. Okay. Uh, All right, taking the Orange Bowl would be Tom Brenneman, Charles Davis, and Chris Myers. Taking the Sugar Bowl would be Kenny Albert, Daryl Johnson, and on the sidelines, the tag team of Chris Myers and Carissa Thompson. And on the Fiesta Bowl, we'd have Matt Vaskersen. What is a heifer? 
Tim Ryan and Chris Myers and Laura Oakman on the sidelines. And the Natty is taken by the broadcast team in charge of the Orange Bowl. Because yes. it was in Miami. Yes. Okay. Chris Myers must have needed the money. He, he was on the sideline for four of the games. All four of them. All yeah. four of them. That paycheck must have been really great from Fox that week. Well, Chris Myers is basically Fox Sports's go-to at this point. The paycheck, but also the frequent flyer miles. Oh, yeah. He was probably racking up those frequent flyer miles. Ka-ching, ka-ching. Like he was Seth Green in that rallies commercial. Ka-ching. Ching-ching. Okay. Ching. Ching. Oh. God. Okay. All right. So, now- so the or- so the Orange Bowl, we have the Hokies out of Virginia Tech out of the ACC against the Cincinnati Bearcats out of the Big East, and it was just absolute. It wasn't total carnage, but the Hokies did have their way with the um with the Bearcats by a score of twenty to seven. Man, what a preview this would be in twenty twenty one. Am I right? Yep. For the Bearcats. <laughs> the Bearcats getting smoked in a really big bowl game. I am absolutely shocked. Let me see if I can find any notable players here. Well, at least it was kind of a game at the half. It was like 10-7 Virginia Tech, but let me just look at the stat comparisons real quick. 398 yards of offense by Virginia Tech, 310 yards by Cincinnati. But okay, here's the difference here. Tony Pike of Cincinnati. Actually, oh my god, Tony Pike actually of Cincinnati actually outpaced Tyrod Taylor of Virginia Tech by close to 100 yards. But Tony Pike threw four interceptions. That'll do it. Well, also, I think at this time if you saw who one of the players Oh no, he's not a player on Cincinnati at this point. I was thinking that Travis Kelsey was on that team. Maybe he just didn't play. Possibly. But I noticed uh, future Jet Morty Gilliard was in this game, had seven uh, receptions for 158 yards, and had the lone touchdown for the Bearcats in the game. Well, Kevin Huber was the punter for Cincinnati. He went on to punt for the Bengals. (laughs) Hey, it's a player. It's a player. It's somebody. Okay. Let's go to the Sugar Bowl in 2009 between, yep. oh, the Utah Utes out of the Mountain West Conference at the time taking on, oh, this is our first appearance of them. <laughs> this, oh, I think our only appearance from them. Our first, last, and only because, well, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, yeah, it's the Utah Utes against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Roll oh, damn time. And this would have been what? The third season for Nick Saban at uh, Alabama at this point. Yeah, that sounds about right. Well, let me see. He left. Um, he left the Dolphins after '06. So now this would be like his second. So, so or, this would be his second season. Second year in Alabama. Yeah. And would you believe this, guys? <laughs> Alabama actually lost. You know what? 2009 was a different time. Okay? It was a different time. It was a different time, all right? 2009 was so dope. 
We didn't have anything to worry about at all. In 2009, the real Captain Phillips happened, and Sully landed in the Hudson. It was a great year for guys who'd later be played by Tom Hanks, but a bad year for pirates and geese. <laughs> and we didn't even know how good we had it. You know, we were too busy complaining about the Black Eyed Peas and Al-Qaeda in that order. Obama was president, and Chet Hanks was still Chester, right? And that crazy movie, the, the, the Orphan, came out. Do you guys remember The Orphan? That movie was crazy. That little girl was old the whole time. It was the first year of Obama's America. You know, we were all feeling very great. We didn't know what was going to come. Yeah. And we were... Matt, also- uh, Matt Asiata was still... Uh, a hero, I guess. Well, he had a number of good years with Minnesota as Adrian Peterson's backup. Oh, yeah. Oh, he was very good for me in fantasy the one year when Adrian Peterson had his, uh, you know. Yeah. yeah. We, we referred to it earlier. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 31-17 was the final score of uh, this game. Utah. Oh, my God. Utah scored like 21 points in the first quarter and never looked back. Nope. Alabama couldn't even come close. No. So Mark Ingram and Julio Jones, both part of that Alabama team. Oh, yeah. Julio Jones, seven catches, 77 yards. And if uh, Mark Ingram, I think, would be... When would he win the Heisman? Like He would... was... Oh, was he 09 or 2010? Because he got drafted in 11. Okay, so it would have been, I think, 2010 he won the Heisman. Probably in 2010. And Tebow probably won in 09 then. No, 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 because we mentioned Bradford won oh, the that, Heisman. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Tebow won in 08. That's right. Bradford won in 09, yeah. Yeah, 2009. Mark Ingram. There you go. 2009. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tebow would 07. Bradford in 08. Correct. And also on that Alabama team, uh, Dante Hightower. Him. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> Courtney Upshaw, who didn't do much, and Glenn Coffey, who also didn't do much, but I just like saying that name. Well, Courtney Upshaw and, at least won a Super Bowl with Baltimore. True. And, and Mark Barron was a high draft pick for the Cowboys. Didn't necessarily have a long career. And Utah, just some guys. Just a whole lot of guys, but damn, those guys were awesome. Yeah. Okay, now we're going to go into the Fiesta Ball in 2009 between the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Texas Longhorns out of the Big 12. And hey, Chico, you know uh-huh. who was coaching Texas at the time? Tar Heel of the house! Yes, Mac Brown. Oh, and by the way, Mac Brown was on the premiere episode of Friday Night Lights, which means I'm going to have to find a clip of it to include here. Yes. Coach. Coach, let me see you. How you hey, doing? Pete, how you doing? Well, great to see you. Hey, Tom, how are you? Hey, good, good luck good. tomorrow night. No, no, you know, we've been watching your offense for five years. Shoot, it's your time now for the big money, right? You're the boss. You, you know, your name goes next to that WRL after this one. It's not like the last five years, is it? And also, fun fact, his daughter, like me, a Jeopardy alum. That is true, yes. Mac Brown's daughter was on Jeopardy. So the final score of this game, it was a close game, 24-21. The Longhorns prevailed in this one. 
You know who was quarterbacking for the uh, Longhorns at the time, Mike? Um. Oh yeah, I, I was thinking it was Vince Young, but Vince Young was gone by like '06. Is Colt McCoy? Yes, yes sir. And you know who was quarterbacking Ohio State? We already mentioned him, Terrell Pryor. No, it was Todd Beckman. Well, Terrell Pryor was sort of like a wide receiver and a quarterback. quarterback. Yeah, he was kind of like a... He was a multi-purpose player. Multi-purpose player, back when those were like a thing. He was Cam Newton before Cam Newton was Cam Newton. How is that possible, Chico? Cam Newton was born 40 days before Terrell Pryor. So, Texas would go on to uh, win in the last minute on a 26-yard pass from Colt McCoy. Over the middle! All around! Touchdown, Texas! And what a way for Quan Cosby to end his Longhorns career! So now we get to the BCS National Championship game between the Florida Gators and the Oklahoma Sooners. And Florida would win its second national championship in three seasons, defeating the Sooners by a final score of 24-14. to So the scoring was no score in the first quarter. Florida and Oklahoma would trade touchdowns in the second quarter. Percy Harvin would break the tie in the third quarter with a two-yard run. Oklahoma tied it with a 11-yard pass by Bradford to Jermaine Gresham. Florida broke the tie with a field goal by Jonathan Phillips with uh, 10.45 left. And then Florida got a touchdown pass from Tebow to David Nelson with three minutes and seven seconds left. And that basically sealed the game for the Gators. And of course, Percy Harvin, Sam Bradford, well, Percy Harvin would go on to greatness in the pros, along with Jeremy Gresham, and Tim Tebow would go on to host Million Dollar Mile. Yeah. <laughs> and Tim Tebow would go on to be the butt of all jokes. But, oh, yeah. this was, but, but this was only the next to the last year for the Fox deal with the BCS. Okay, they yes. Decided they did not want to do the BCS in 2010, so... They wanted to sell it to ESPN because ESPN got the rights back from uh, Fox for the year after the 2009-2010 season. So Fox was like, hey, ESPN, we'll just give you these rights because you're already broadcasting the championship game. And ESPN was like, now nah, we're good. I have the lawyer ball speak from a story that ESPN did on Fox withdrawing their bid for the 2010 National Championship. Here. Okay, go ahead. They said, now this is the lawyer speak. Greg, you can feel free to translate this when I'm done. Okay. Even with today's vast economic uncertainties, Fox Sports made a very competitive bid to keep broadcasting BCS games free to every home in America. One that included a substantial rights fee increase and certainly as much as any over-the-air network could responsibly risk. Unfortunately, the university presidents and BCS commissioners were not satisfied and they decided to take their jewel events to pay television. Translation, we don't want our games on Fox anymore. And ESPN had its own statement saying, 
We are not commenting today about a potential BCS agreement. However, we wish to remind everyone that ESPN is distributed and expanded basic, a product enjoyed by 98 million homes that offers the best entertainment buy in America, including many championship caliber sporting events. And speaking on behalf of the BCS, coordinator John Swafford, who up until recently was the commissioner of the ACC, Currently, over 98 million homes receive ESPN. With the ever-changing technology, and as we look toward January 2011, when the first games in this package will be played, we know that the number of households that receive ESPN will only continue to grow. So, Fox ultimately pulled its bid, and then they're going to turn around and say, well, we didn't pull our bid. It was just too rich for our blood. I mean... The BCS wanted more money for their honey. And we just wanted to play responsibly. Hmm. Well, guys, I found an article from awfulannouncing.com with some reviews from different reporters about Fox's BCS championship game coverage. Do you want to hear what all sorts of different reporters said about their coverage? I want to hear this because this definitely had a, had some sort of pull into whether Fox would continue the BCS coverage because we all know that for one reason or another, they were really bad at it. All right. Richard Sandemir from the New York Times Having to pay attention to two or four shots at once live with a play about to begin is needless. Sometimes Fox linger too long in a four shot, almost missing going to a full screen for the stamp. One particular shot in the quadruple screens of coaches' signals from the Oklahoma sideline would have been useful to dissect as a replay. But in a quarter screen, it looked like the coaches were playing pat a cake. Jerry Green from the Orlando Sentinel. Tom Brenneman settled down after a shaky start. Charles Davis was decent, but a no-frills performance for the network's last title game anytime soon. Nothing special, nothing awful, nothing to be missed. Oh, you're going to love this from the big lead. Okay, you ready for this? Can someone please check Tom Brenneman's identification? Seriously, we'd like to see his social security card and passport. We firmly believe he is in some way related to mountain mover QB Tim Tebow. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention. Tom Brenneman, the entire broadcast, was like so gaga over Tim Tebow. The passion, the fire of Tim Tebow, who is the unquestioned greatest leader in college football today. What an unbelievable player and an even more impressive young man. If you're fortunate enough to spend five minutes or 20 minutes around Tim Tebow, your life is better for it. Which is so weird because I didn't think Tom Brenneman played that way. Yeah, you'd think that's a Joe Buck thing. Hey, yeah. Joe Buck, Kyle Schwarber. Oh, for f- sake Mike get over it like the guy who grew up is the son of the St. Louis Cardinals broadcaster has a bias for the Chicago Cubs I'm referring to Tom Brenneman saying bad things about the gays oh ho, ho, ho. Ho, 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 ho. he's a bad man he's a bad man Mel Bragg from the Oklahoma News. Brenneman and his Fox cohorts went overboard and gushing about how great a man Tebow is off the field. His comments would have been more fitting in a feature story than a game broadcast. AOL Fanhouse. What I do know is this. 
Brenneman was so far over the top in his pro-tipo hyperbole on Thursday that the game became darn near unwatchable unless the volume was off. Not only did Brenneman go on and on about what a remarkable man Tebow is, but he backed Tebow against Oklahoma quarterback Dominic Franks, who said Tebow would be no better than the fourth-best QB in the Big 12. Stating that was probably the most ridiculous statement ever said. Neil Best of Newsday. Fox's Tom Brenneman often seems to be doing a clever parody of an old-time sportscaster, except that he's serious. His outing with Charles Davis for Fox's third and last BCS title game was particularly amusing, especially his over-the-top defecation of Tim Superman Tebow. My favorite moment came late in the game when, just as it seemed Brenneman and Davis were ready to bronze Tebow on the spot, the saintly quarterback was flagged for taunting an Oklahoma play with one of those gator chop motions. (laughs) oh my god and one last thing from spencer hall of the sporting news assumptions one should not make about this game one bob stoops always loses big ball games untrue by the record he only loses 66 percent of them two all big 12 defenses are uniformly awful inaccurate this proves only the defenses Oklahoma faces are uniformly awful, which means all Big 12 defenses save Oklahoma, which kept Florida's offense in check for most of the game. Three, Fox puts on an incompetent broadcast. No, incompetent doesn't cover how inept their clawed-footed work on the BCS has been. So yeah, no good. NG, no good. What was your favorite part in all those reviews? The fact where Tom Brenneman gets dragged. Oh, yeah. I like the part where they said Oklahoma doesn't lose all their playoff games. Only 67% of them. All right, let's get into the final year, shall we? So we just have three games to cover since ABC was broadcasting the PCS title game since it was held at the Rose Bowl, so... All right, for the Sugar Bowl, we got, okay, Tom Brenneman with Brian Billick and Chris Myers. Because at this point, Brian Billick would be with Fox, right? Yes. He, he would have been, how long would he have been done with the Ravens? Like, like oh, two to three year, years? Maybe two. Because when was John Harbaugh's first year? Like, 08? It was like 08 or 09, yeah. Okay, yeah. And then the Fiesta Bowl, oh, Play-by-play guy. Oh, legendary here in New York. Legendary play-by-play announcer for the New York Rangers. And on the NFL on Fox, Sam Rosen. Oh, hey, as a longtime Ranger fan, love Sam Rosen. And we're going to talk about him because Sam Rosen is on play-by-play with um, Jack Brickhouse and Red Barber on the first annual Cracker Jack Old Timers Classic. Which is coming later this year. That's right. Sometime in July. So stay tuned. With uh, Tim Ryan and Chris Myers. Yeah, once again, Chris Myers did sideline reporting for all three games. Because he really needed those frequent flyer miles. And then for the Orange Bowl, you have Dick Stockton with Charles Davis. With Chris Myers and Laura Oakman doing sideline reporting. So, okay. We got three games to cover. So first... The uh, Sugar Bowl between Florida and Cincinnati. Hey, guys. Did you know that this was Urban Meyer's last game against Florida because he had 
a health issue. Do you see uh, what I'm doing? Is that, you see is what that, I'm doing, that, Chico? That what call, health. That what they're calling it a health issue. Yeah, health Ch- issue. You know, Chico. No, notice what both Greg and I are doing. We're doing a health issue. Now. He's doing this now. A uh, health <laughs> issue. Is that what they're calling it? Yes. And hey, this was Tim Tebow's last game as a collegiate player. And guess who was commentating this? Tom Brenneman. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> which, means basically, which means this isn't a football game so much as it is Tom Brenneman talking about Tim Tebow. Well, I hope glad. Well, I guarantee you anyone from Glad was not watching this game. <laughs> okay, so yeah, this was basically a total crap show. Oh, wait a minute. I forgot to mention Cincinnati had an interim head coach for this game. You know why? Why? Because Brian Kelly bolted to Notre Dame. Gee, that's not a surprise. Brian Kelly bolting a team? Oh. What? Boy, that's about as surprising as Urban Meyer bolting a team. <laughs> Depends on what your definition of the word bolting is. Well, forcibly or otherwise. Good night, everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh. The Gators had 659 total yards, which were the most in the history of the Sugar Bowl. Tim Tebow set Sugar Bowl and BCS records with 482 passing yards. Gee, let's talk about something that doesn't go together. Tim Tebow and throwing over 400 yards. I thought you were just going to say throwing. <laughs> throwing? Just Throwing. <laughs> Not even throwing for 400 yards. Throwing. Throwing. <laughs> but, but look who caught his first touchdown pass. Who caught his first touchdown? Oh! Future, <laughs> mur- future murderer Aaron Hernandez! Oh, boy. And of course, guys, as we all know, one day, I'm going to tell my kids that Lon Chaney was Aaron Hernandez. And you know why. I was Lon Chaney's lover. Go back and love him. Why? <laughs> just, just why? <laughs> and future Jet Morty Gilliard for Cincinnati set Sugar Bowl records for return yards in the game. So at least Cincinnati had something to be proud of. Oh, and guess who sang the national anthem? Lady well, Antebellum. That- well, Lady A now. Well, now Lady A now because there's reasons why they changed. There are the reasons. Name. Reasons. Okay, Ooh, this is just a great game from the start. Aaron Hernandez, Lady Antebellum, Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer, <laughs> Brian oh it, Brian Kelly knew he didn't want to coach this game. He was like, "Screw this! I'm taking the Notre Dame money." He's taking that Notre Dame F money. I want to add that in the Sugar Bowl in this uh, game, Travis Kelsey did get a catch. Oh, he did play. Good. That's and nice. Of course, and of course, now, like 12 years later, he's like the most amazing tight end in like history, it seems. And his brother dressed up as the genie at the Eagles Super Bowl parade and was on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, yep. I th- yeah, I thought you were going to go there first. 
and also, hey, Greg, do you want more cringeworthy people associated with this game? Oh, do I? <laughs> uh, we talked about Aaron Hernandez. He had nine catches for 111 yards in that touchdown. Well, right behind him, stats-wise, seven catches, but for 181 yards in the touchdown. Yeah. Riley Cooper. Oh, yes, Riley Cooper. Talk about... Talk about... The, the, hey. the, crin- the cringe factor is off the charts. Hey, Irvin Meyer, Aaron Hernandez, Riley Cooper, another who are three people who have never been in my kitchen. Never can be in your kitchen at this oh, point. Oh, yeah, because one of them's dead. Good. Yeah. I'm glad uh, one of them's dead. But, hey, the 2010 Fiesta Bowl, we have a game of two non-BCS conferences. We got Boise State back in the Fiesta Bowl for the second time in four years, playing against, from the Mountain West Conference, the Horned Frogs of TCU, Texas Christian University. And this was a close game a defensive battle with Boise State prevailing by a final score of 17 to 10. And hey, Mike, who broke the tie in the fourth quarter for Boise State? Doug Morton. He had a few good years. He had a great first year with the Bucs. First first year or so, first year or two were great. Oh, yeah. But then he sort of just fell face of the earth. Yeah. But look at the quarterback for Texas Christian, the Red Rifle. The Red Rifle. Andy oh, Dalton. Andy, Andy Dalton, yes. The Ginger Ninja. He's still playing today. Uh, depending on where, when you catch him, he can be really good when you catch him. Yes. And the quarterback for Boise State, the now current offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys, Kellen Moore, who is very likely going to be a head coach in the NFL come next season. But okay. Two things I want to note about this game, at least in the pregame. Do you know who sang the national anthem? Um, Michael no. McDonald. Oh, uh, that had to be a good national anthem. Oh, yeah. That was a... That was oh, a nice say, can you see? Please stop. Daughter. Please stop. Huh, no, it would have sounded... It would have sounded like volume two coming this summer. No. It would have sounded something like that, though. <laughs> something like that. All right, guys, it's going to be a long night of Border Patrol, so I brought along Michael McDonald to help us out. How's he going to help us? He's going to do backup vocals for everything we say. How's he going to know How's what we're saying? How's he going to know what we're saying? Is he going to do it for all yes, of us? Yes, he's going to do it for all of us. Yeah, I hired him for the night. Yeah, it costs like two fifty an hour, so don't skip on the conversation. Don't skip on the conversation. That sounds nice. Well, I guess everything's well, back to normal. Well, I guess everything's back to normal. Oh, man, not this guy oh, again. Oh, man, not this guy again. <laughs> Fart! Now, guys, I made a big discovery about this game. Okay. okay. Now, apparently, they had the Grand Marshal of the game as the coin tosser for the event. All right. But here's the weird part. No one saw him. Yeah, I know. This is so weird. Nobody apparently saw the guy who did the coin toss. Apparently, the coin toss was done by thin air. That's weird. That is weird. It's amazing.
Uh, I guess we'll never know who did the coin toss. It'll always be a mystery. But hey, Chico, I'm looking forward to that HBO Max show with an invisible man. I know what you're talking about. Wait, wait, wait. The, the Invisible Man also, he's coming back for a second season of Wipeout, I heard. Oh, with Nicole Byer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, it's Nicole Byer hosting by herself? Huh. Something like that. Okay. Well, we got one more game to go. And talk about ending on a low note. This is not a sexy matchup. I'm sorry, Timothy Chalamet. This game did not look nice. And it did not look sexy. It looks nice. It looks sexy. Nope. Not this time. The Iowa Hawkeyes from the Big Ten going up against the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets from the ACC. Oh, that's just terrible. The final score, Iowa 24, Georgia Tech 14. And you know how embarrassing this was? In July of 2011, the NCAA vacated Georgia Tech's appearance in the ball game as a consequence for violations committed against the football program. Uh-oh. The Georgia Tech quarterback was two for nine with 12 yards. That's bad. Hey, Ricky Stanzi was Iowa's quarterback. Ricky Stanzi, a Northeast Ohio guy. Yes. Also, when was it? I think it was two and a half years ago, uh, summer of 2019, or yeah, summer of 2019 at this point. I got all my rookie cards of him signed by him at a Lake County. You, got all, you got all the rookie cards, don't you? I all knew this, five of them. I knew this was going to end up being a story about Mike's cards when Ricky Stanzi was mentioned. I don't think there's anyone. Hey, you know, he was a rookie in 2013, and in 2013, I'm like, okay, I'm saving this guy because he's going to be signing someplace eventually one day. And you know what? Bam. It was at a captain's game in 2019. Happy Mike. Just sign all the friggin' cards, Ricky. Oh, happy day. And I'm the only person who gives a darn about this podcast who cares about Ricky Stanzi. You're probably that, that's not true. I care about anything you care about, Mike. Oh well, I think I uh, thank you. Oh my god. Is there anybody else who played in this game besides Ricky Stanzi? I'm looking. Um Adrian Claiborne, he had a decent NFL career. Oh, okay. I think he was a defensive end, yeah. All right. Uh Pet Anger. Pet Anger, uh he was a linebacker, I think, for the Colts for a good while. Oh, yeah, huh? yeah. Okay. Pat Anger is definitely a name. I've heard of him. All right. Oh, Marvin McNutt. And I, I know you guys are like, oh, the name, the name. No, he's like <laughs> a, a legendary wide receiver at Iowa uh, over the last like decade, 12 years ago. Tony Moiaki, tight end, played for the Chiefs uh, before uh, Mahomes. Okay. So again, a- another known entity, as it were. So he would have been teammates with Kelsey? He uh, he would have been teammates with Kelsey at some point. He would have been Kelsey's backup. Okay. And Jonathan Dwyer was the running back for Georgia Tech. Uh, he was uh, with the Steelers for a little while, about two or three years back in the mid-2010s. Uh, okay. So there you go. All right. And that was the BCS on Fox. It was a failure on multiple levels from broadcasting, the presentation, to just the quality of 
games that they got, which they really couldn't control. I mean, you want to file this one under God bless them, they try. Hey, it started out well with an awesome Fiesta Bowl, but then it just went downhill from there. Yep. And ultimately, it became another thing on TV. Well, guys, we haven't done this in a while. Oh, 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 no. Oh, yes. Oh, maybe. Do you want to play? Oh, do you want to play eBay prices right? I think we're contractually obligated at this point. Just like Fox with the PCS. Let's go. There we go. Cue the music. All right, guys, you were bidding on. Now, I just found this on eBay. You were bidding on a 2007 autographed Topps rookie card of Jared Zabransky, numbered 9 out of 10. You'll be bidding on the buy it now price for this card. And I will start the bidding with Chico. I've had a number in mind for a while, so I'm just going to go with $80. Mike? One cent. I would not pay more than $10 for that. One cent. So the most you'd pay is $10, but you're bidding one cent. I'm hedging my bets because I don't want to be over, and then Chico comes in and steals it with a $9.99 or something like that. Okay, you ready for the buy it now price? There we go. $49.99. Shut up! Okay, God, still way too right expensive. Now. Still way too expensive. I got a Jared Zabransky autograph card at a card show back in October for three bucks. I know it's numbered nine out of ten, but fifty bucks? Really? No. And also, really, that's not even the main top series. That's like the tops like draft football, which really I remember those back in the day. Those were wasn't a really good set in my opinion. No. A lot of brands did better than them. I imagine so. Well, you can always go to our website at itwasathingontv.com where we have all sorts of stuff. We got live shows. We got director's cuts. We got mini-sodes. Hey, Chico, sometime, I don't know when this will be up, but we did a thing uh, last night. As we're yes, recording. we did. We did a live watch of the first episode of The Book of Boba Fett. It is going to be up soon on our Podbean feed. And hey, maybe when we have a hole to fill somewhere in the schedule or as a bit of a surprise, maybe, possibly. Yeah. It'll be up on our website, editwasathingontv.com. In the meantime, uh, what you will find, editwasathingontv.com, is links to all of our episodes, all of our social medias. Links to our good friends at the Place to Be Nation who has Rudolph's Shiny New Year and the uh, Year Review Spectacular. Well, that's that coming have. Wednesday. That is coming Wednesday. And, and guys, I, I, I took forever to edit that episode, Mike. Oh, God. But you know what? I'm 
think the job was well done. It was a great episode. It really was. Hey, and also I'm very proud, Mike, of the image I made on on the Instagram page of do you want to describe what I made on the Instagram image in the stories? The Instagram report, story. Report two. Do you want to describe what I did that I oh, didn't God. even realize, which was funny? Oh, dear God. No, because I like having a clean rating on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I already talked about how I was going to tell my kids that Aaron Hernandez was Lon oh, Chaney. No. Oh, dear God. <laughs> but next to oh well chico this is gonna be a episode where we're gonna cover a very forgotten show yeah some would even call it a lost show well mike and i did some research we managed to find some of it and we're going to be talking about what happens when you give a deuteragonist from a very popular tv show their own show does it turn out to be one in a million, or is it just a thing on TV? Maybe it's both. It's both. And that's coming up next time, right here on It Was a Thing on TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. Well, I made a comment earlier tonight that uh, I guess uh, went out over the year that I am deeply ashamed of um, if I have hurt anyone out there I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart I'm so very very sorry I pride myself and think of myself as a a man of faith as there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos it will be a home run and so that'll make it a 4 nothing ball game I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again I don't know if it's going to be for the Reds. I don't know if it's going to be for my bosses at Fox. I want to apologize for the people who signed my paycheck for the Reds, for Fox Sports Ohio, for the people I work with, for anybody that I've offended here tonight. I can't begin to tell you how deeply sorry I am. That is not who I am uh, and never has been. And I'd like to think maybe I could have some people that, uh, that could back that up. I am very, very sorry, and I beg for your forgiveness. I don't know what I'm doing, and everybody hates me.